0: When civil war broke out in Spain, hundreds of Irish men went to fight on both sides of the conflict. This is the story of the Irishmen who took on fascism. <laughs>
1: everyone future connor here we have some big news here at the out of ireland hq we have our first supporter on patreon so I want to say a big thank you to neve Hurd who joined our 10 euro a month tier which means she gets a shout out on the podcast so thanks neve we we really really appreciate it now if you'd like to join the Patreon herd, as I'm definitely going to call it from now on, you can go to patreon.com forward slash out of Ireland or just search Patreon out of Ireland on Google uh, and there you can support us for 3, 5 or 10 euro a month. There's a bonus episode up there right now about Thomas Francis Marr who came from Waterford and he became a general in the American Civil War. He also invented a whiskey punch where the ingredient list started with 22 gallons of whiskey. So go to our Patreon to listen to that episode and get that recipe in time for your summer barbecue now if you're not ready to subscribe to a monthly thing but you'd still like to support the podcast you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash out of ireland and give us a one-time donation of whatever you fancy and we'd really appreciate that now if you are enjoying the podcast but you don't want to or aren't able to support us financially you can still help us out hugely by leaving us a review on your podcast app sharing the podcast on social media or you know telling a friend face to face Remember doing that? We put a huge amount of work into this podcast and we'd really, really love to see it grow into something bigger and maybe something we could t- afford to spend more time on. So any and all help is appreciated. So back to the podcast.
0: Guys, I need a haircut so badly. Look at this shit. Look at this shit. It's so long. It helps if you wash it though. <laughs> I do wash
1: it. <laughs> I said, I was doing this, didn't... Are you showering a lot less during lockdown? Because,
0: oh, like once a week. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that is disgusting. Yeah, I'm
0: the same, though. <laughs> though. I just like, unless I, just I... stop caring. Yeah.
1: <laughs> unless I go out and do something like, like if I go for a run or a cycle, then I'll shower.
0: Do you I'm not like, have a girlfriend that tells you you're a stinky fucker, though?
1: No. Well, I do have a girlfriend, but she doesn't tell me that.
0: I find that my hygiene is tethered to like my working. Like if I'm going out working all day or whatever, I'll have a shower. But if I'm doing nothing for a long period of time.
2: Mm. You just feel shit then.
1: I've gotten used to it,
2: darling. Uh, <laughs> year year it's in just, lockdown. It's
1: just how I feel all the time. That's <laughs> quite sad sounding. Yeah. <laughs> it feels shit. Welcome all to the lockdown. Time. Yeah, I always feel like if I'm not like getting actively getting a sweat, I'm like it's fine. Yeah. But then the problem is I don't change my boxers, so because I'll just sleep in my boxers and get up. So there's been like. <sighs> I'd, I'd say it, I'd, This is being recorded Yeah I wish I was editing cause this would say, so
0: be in <laughs> Connor's dirty boxer briefs in. I'd say I'm over
1: 100 I've done over
0: 100 hours In a pair of boxers straight Yeah I'd probably
2: It's four uh, days That's a long time
0: I know but like Yeah do you Do you take them off And smell where the arse Meets the fabric Just to make sure It's not too booing No I wouldn't do that <laughs> No, me neither well, Who would do that <laughs> it's, it's not this advisable is disgusting <laughs> This should be the new <laughs> Podcast topic This week we're talking about the Spanish Civil War. And you may be wondering what relevance that has to a podcast about Ireland, but weirdly enough, there are Irish people who fought on both sides of the conflict. And we thought it'd be interesting to choose one side and talk about them. So that's why we're here, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're just getting smoother and smoother at this every week, aren't we? <laughs> um so, like you said, we are looking at the Spanish Civil War, and we decided just to pick one side because it's pretty large conflict so just to give you a bit of background we're talking here pre-world war ii so 1936 to 1939 was the spanish civil war and you can kind of break it down quite easily into left versus right communism versus fascism atheism versus religion
0: kind of yeah kind it's of a, it's yeah. a really co- it was really complicated to get my head around it but mm. i think i've got a, a nice yeah on
1: it now. you can make it quite i mean you, you can break it down quite simply depending on what way you want to argue and which side you want to be support in it um, it's actually interesting. As a U.S. ambassador uh, to Spain at the time, called it a dress rehearsal for World War II, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Mm. Um, because fascism, um, Franco's side, was supported by Italy and Germany, who had their own fascist movements, and communism was supported by Russia and Mexico. Which, um, yeah, I didn't realize Mexico had a communist government.
0: All right, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's news to me, newsman.
1: Yeah. Be Yeah, I just found a a couple of sources that mentioned Mexico as supporting them. Um, Although even talking about support, the fascist side were supported by Hitler and Mussolini because they gave them a load of guns and ammunition, but the Russians sold the communists' guns and ammunition, (laughs) which is like, feels like the opposite of communism.
0: Uh, And also there was kind of a Catholic aspect as well in Spain. Like it was, Franco was, you know, his, his Catholic nationalists, and the other side was perceived as being like, oh, they want to tear down the tethers of Catholicism and all this shite. So um, I thought that was an interesting part.
1: Yeah. So there was the whole uh, red terror thing happening in Spain at the time. So it's hard to tell what reports were real and what reports were fake, but there were, did seem to be a lot of persecution of uh, Catholics and a lot of persecution of religious people and priests been murdered and nuns been murdered. And the Irish media in particular were reporting a lot of like murders of priests and massacres in Madrid and, and things like that at the time as well. But,
2: but a lot of them are fabricated or yeah, just completely invented.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. So it's, you can read news reports at the time. Is it the independent, the
2: Irish independent the independent was very bad at it. it yeah. Like,
1: they it? were pumping out loads of, you can see all these online as well. They're, they're cool to read. We'll put them somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> show notes, well, show notes, Instagram. We'll make sure they go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on the fascist side you had franco franco was kind of a smaller general not a smaller general he was the same size he was <laughs> a lesser general uh, at the time so you had emilio mola who was kind of the main front-facing general and the leader of the fascist party until 1937 when his plane crashed and apparently there's some suspicion that franco had an involvement in that and Ooh. yeah but we're, there was no real evidence for that, but.
2: that. That seems like a common theme. There, there was a uh, Fidel Castro in Cuba, something similar happened to his right-hand man, um, Sanfuegos. He died in a car crash, or he died in a plane crash, suspiciously as well. Oh.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a good way to... Yeah,
2: there's no evidence.
0: <laughs> also, though, relatively early days of aviation, so I'd imagine planes were crashing a lot. True.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. So it's like a general thing that could happen. So in Spain, you had it's kind of difficult to keep on top of all the names for the groups. So it's nationalist versus republican. So nationalists being Franco, meaning fascist. So Franco was a military general who was part of the military coup in Spain. So Spain had been going through a lot of tumultuous kind of times. Um, and there'd actually been a lot of coups in Spain, which I didn't know about. So I was looking this up between 1814 and 1847 there was 12 successful coups. Oh, Jesus. Which is one successful coup every five years. So basically, (laughs) instead of
0: having a vote every four years, they just have a coup every five years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Saves people going out voting. Everyone's everyone's gearing up and getting ready. Like, oh, guys, it's time for the coup tomorrow. What are you doing? Who are you taking over?
1: (laughs) But I like how it was just the successful coups. There could have been loads of unsuccessful ones. Could it just be Um, one person
0: going, I'm staging a coup? And everyone's like, oh, fuck off, Barry. Go back to bed
1: yeah I don't know. does a coup have to be a military coup or can a coup just be a takeover of power? I wonder I think I think you have to say a military coup. anyway, this was a military coup, uh, and it was supported by um, the military, obviously, but most of the military, so there was still some pockets that held out, so cities like Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, Bilbao, and Malaga stayed supporting the government, so there was even military there who stayed supported the government. So this, the government being the Republican side. So we're more left-wing. So it was a really closely contested election. So they just barely scraped by uh, with the win. So the left-wing government, which was recognized by France, the UK, the US, but they didn't support them because they were not pro-communist, but they recognized them. Do you know what I mean?
0: They were trying to play, play it very carefully, I think, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So they were a bit like, we'd kind of like it if Franco was in charge because this is the early 30s this fascism wasn't seen as a bad thing like we saw yeah. when we were talking about uh, Mussolini and that Violet Gibson episode he was well held across the, Europe you know across the world so you know communism seemed more scary
0: and I'd imagine you don't want to put your eggs in the basket of a side you don't know is going to be in power so it's like the way that some some presidents wouldn't congratulate Biden um, until they were absolutely certain he was going to be president yeah so you kind of just you play carefully I guess Um,
1: And as well, just to kind of swing to Ireland a bit, Ireland was not fascist, but was definitely trending that way in the 30s. So we had De Valera's government in um, and it was kind of the height of Irish conservatism. And we had the blue shirts who were our equivalent of the black shirts in Italy. So Ireland had somewhat sympathetic views with fascism at the time.
2: I really didn't know about all this background to, I knew about the blue shirts but I didn't really really realize that they had such a strong say on the the or the Spanish Civil War it was yeah well I guess both sides did so
1: yeah so the leader of the blue shirts in Ireland was O'No Duffy and if you look up some of the speeches he gave they're very like in the style of Mussolini like they were doing the salute they had, he was like wearing a beret and it's all it's all very nazi looking do you know
2: yeah meant to be very powerful speaker as well
1: yeah so he was a bit of a, seems to be a bit of a spoofer, but he was good at organizing. So he organized the, or was one of the main organizers in the Eucharistic Congress when the Pope came in 1932. And actually religion played a huge part in this. So communism was seen as anti-religion, anti-Christ, anti-everything. What was the quote you had on that?
2: Oh, I said that, uh, oh, Duffy was quoted in saying that, Uh, this this conflict wasn't between fascism and anti-fascism but between christ and antichrist yeah so in a like
1: deeply deeply religious country like ireland at the time that would have you know spiked a lot of uh people's ears so that's not that's not a phrase (laughs) Spiked
0: Spiked people's ears (laughs) Come on, you two are letting me get away with that as well. When you're put on the spot, when you've got a microphone in front of you, you say some
2: random shit. I think that's called an O'Shianism. <laughs>
0: yes, Chatting too much.
1: So the mad thing about Ireland being almost fascist at the time, it was a lot of the support came from the Catholic Church. Uh, the Catholic Church completely vilified communist party and any kind of socialism. So Ireland didn't really have communism. You know, it had a very small minority of people. So even after a like a rousing speech by a priest in the pro cathedral Connolly House, which was the communist kind of headquarters, was burned down. Imagine getting so riled up at something a priest at mass that you're like going to go out and burn down a building.
2: People definitely weren't falling asleep. Oh, that just sounds like it was excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder was he just like going and he was a bit. What he meant to say was, I don't think this communism thing is great. But people started actually listening, so we like went on with the story.
0: Like,
2: yes, yeah, yeah and we should are finally listening
0: to me <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a father ted plot <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should go burn down their building yeah oh well, they're still with me we should go j- join uh, a war in spain yeah brilliant um... <laughs> <laughs> do it <laughs> but there's another one uh, at Augram street uh, church the priest allegedly told his congregation if you meet an individual whom you know to be a communist in the street attack him for if you don't he will be burning your churches
2: Oh wow. Yeah. Oh my god. It yeah. is quite funny to think that officially the Irish state was neutral but unofficially because of the Catholic Church we were we were pro Franco.
1: Yeah, very pro Franco. And
2: yeah, it's it's in it's
1: funny because then the Catholic Church had a special relationship wasn't it in the constitution wasn't
0: that a thing? Mm. Yeah. So Connor, to sum it up what you're kind of saying is that like the Catholic Church and you know there was kind of a sense around Ireland at the time they're, they're kind of like a red scare you know the communists are coming we have to protect ourselves so when the time came for O'Duffy to bring men over to Spain to fight against communists protecting the values of the people and protecting Catholic values um, people jumped there were people who were really willing to go over and do it.
1: Yeah and I know we said we're not going to talk about O'Duffy's side much because we're going to talk about the communists that did go over but he did get Duffy did get seven thousand people to sign up that said they would come um but in the end like 700 went over to fight for
0: yeah I've eight hundred here but yeah yeah it was seven eight
1: hundred ish all the numbers are a bit squiffy from
2: back then as well um yeah but that that, that was him claiming that he got seven or eight thousand people to sign up yeah he, and then he claimed that he there was an admin error or something that's why they couldn't get them <laughs> over in time or <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: When the civil war broke out in Spain, communist organizations all over the world encouraged, as they said, comrades from all over to join. So they said, nationality doesn't matter anymore. Um, You're all workers, we're all in this together, so come join the fight in Spain.
0: Yeah, but actually, when we say communist, like it wasn't necessarily just um, the Communist Party in Spain at the time. This was an amalgamation of a bunch of different parties. There was communists, socialists, there was farmers, there was anarchists, and it was kind of... um, it was a little bit class-based class based as well. It was, it was kind of like the lower-class secular communist people versus the mid- to upper-class wealthier Catholic people. It seems like that's where the divide seems to kind of come from. Um,
1: yeah, the bourgeois, the, the upper classes, the businessmen yeah. wanted to keep the, the status quo.
0: In, 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 yeah, in, in a way, in a way.
2: Moving on from Duffy, we're going to move on to the other side, the communists. And this brings us into Michael Price, who was the IRA's director of training. And he wanted to push the IRA towards more of a James Connolly or Marxist ideology. Price and his followers moved; or were kicked out. Kicked out of? The IRA.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. So the IRA, it seems like these fellas were like, the IRA was slipping towards kind of socialist, communist, whatever. Or as in, there were people in it that believed in that, and it just didn't really gel with the beliefs of the IRA. That was like, look, we just want independence; we don't really want a workers' republic or any of this shite. I think that's what the you know that's a struggle that's always happened with the IRA. Mm. It's people have wanted it to go towards the working class or the workers or socialist, when and the 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 majority just wanted we just want to be independent.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and Price was the one that was pushing the Marxist ideology, and his his ideology was pushed out, as he said, along with his other followers.
1: Yeah, so they said. Like left, where there was like a vote, wasn't there? They had a motion in the in a IRA meeting, and it was voted down.
2: Yeah, Congress. Yeah, Republican Congress. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm,
1: I don't know what those uh, were, but they were just moved more towards socialism, right?
2: Yeah, the kind of communist movement, I think, more so. Yeah. So Price, uh, Pater O'Donnell, George Gilmore, and Frank Ryan set up the Republican Congress, which then supported the creation of a communist movement in Ireland.
0: Right. Yeah. Which they weren't exactly popular, were they? They were not popular at all. No,
2: no. As you said earlier on, no, no, not really. No, still aren't.
0: To be honest, it's mad that the party still exists. But like, I couldn't even find the the head of the Communist Party, the Ireland Communist Party, is called something Pinkerman or Pinkerton, and I couldn't find anything on him. So obviously, they're they're here, but they're just very low. So Frank Ryan and the Communist Party were very upset at O'Duffy sending over eight hundred men to fight with the fascists. So they decided to set up their own brigade to fight against fascism. So that's where the Connolly's Column was born.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, actually. The Irish government at the time said it was illegal to go over to fight in that war. But Ono Duffy was sending newspaper reports back and was publicly saying we should go. And there was no real effort to stop him. But when the communists were leaving, they had to kind of leave covertly out of Dublin. So there was no ship that brought them straight there. It was very... They had to go via London. Some of them had to make their own way. They went London. Open daggers. Yeah, so they got trains and they got tickets on to different places and had to double back a couple of times. Um, so it, it's just funny how the like It's illegal to go to this war when we're not in support of the fascist government. But if you are going to go fight with the fascist, you're you can you can kind of go very easily. But if you're going to join the
2: communist, you have to figure it out.
0: Well, oh, that's a, oh, that's a big no-no. That means you're anti-Catholic. Yeah. God
2: forbid. It wasn't only people from Ireland that joined Frank Ryan uh, to Spain. They also had people coming from Australia and America to join the fight. And they would have they would have left Ireland originally because of the civil war. They would have been forced into exile. So
1: these were Irish people who had left? Yeah, they were a...
2: forced into exile after the, the Irish Civil War. And they wanted to join Frank Ryan and his men to fight against Franco. Uh, so would oh. they have
1: been like anti-Treaty people?
2: Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, yeah I guess they would so. have had to have been. Because otherwise they wouldn't have been fleeing, I suppose. Yeah, there was letters from Bill Scott, who was an Irishman in Barcelona at the time of Franco's uh, men invading uh, Madrid. He wrote letters back to Sean Murray, who's the General Secretary of the Communist Party of Ireland. And in these these letters were published in the newsletter, their official newsletter. The quote is quite long, so I'm not going to read it all, but I'll I'll just read the, the hard hitting part, which is. Um, I saw the mutilated bodies of children wedged between heavy beams in the midst of the street. I saw what on examination proved to be a child's cot containing a mangled body. People in adjoining streets, not fortunate enough to be killed outright, were blind and shell-shocked by the explosions.
1: Welcome to Out of Ireland, the light-hearted history podcast.
2: I read that and I was like, oh, fucking hell. So nice. Yeah, he was building the scene of um, Franco's planes were flying over Madrid and they just dropped bombs.
1: Yeah, I think this was the first war where aerial bombardment was used. So this was mm. very much a precursor to World War Two in history. Yeah, or in Spain. Yeah, they just oh, didn't yeah. have the range before. Like World War One planes were barely getting off the ground.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't mean. That. didn't even mean. That. Well, she still get doesn't get it.
0: World War One planes were barely getting off the ground. Like a wooden plane. Oh come on!
2: Plane yeah, barely really getting really off fucked. the ground.
1: There's like the expression like, oh, the, like this podcast barely got off the ground.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Bill Scott had a good way of putting this. Um, Talking about the planes, he was saying that they were flying over the city considering where to release their loads of death. Yeah. Yeah. This man knew how to write. (laughs) So there was a lot of
0: Spanish people who were worried about this rise of Uh, fascism in the country but weirdly enough there was people all over the world who were kind of concerned well no i'm not making it sound like there was lots of people all over the world there was a lot of communist groups and socialist groups in many many countries around the world who believed that the spanish republic was a front line in the war against fascism as a result of that there was a brigade set up called the international brigade which was comprised entirely of countries and their respective companies so it was all foreigners who were coming to fight for the International Brigade against fascism in Spain. The Irishmen came over and they decided to fight with the International Brigade. And they were part of the company that became known as Connolly's Column, named after James Connolly.
2: Frank Ryan left Dublin with a group of approximately 80 Irishmen. Uh, others would join in the following months from coming as far as Australia and America.
1: Yeah, so they arrived into Spain, but they didn't arrive directly directly. They had to sneak their way in because the Irish government had made it illegal to join the war. Um, In theory, uh, again, they seem to make exception for if you wanted to join the fascist, it was a lot easier to get there. But they traveled via London to Paris and via Perpignan. So a lot of them just came on trains. So the Irish communist volunteers, when they arrived, didn't really get much training. In fact, they only got a few days of training. Um, And there's a great documentary that was made in the 1970s about it with some primary sources where they interview some of the people who went over. Um, So we'll actually play you a clip of that now. Most of them were smuggled in over the Pyrenees and training for some of the Republicans was pathetic in terms of the war they were going to have to fight. For most, it could be measured in days rather than weeks. Uh, We learned how to advance under fire, how to retreat under fire, how to take advantage of natural cover, and things which really are rather elementary. And they uh, fired 10 shots the rifle. I think the first five scared me more than it scared anyone
0: else. Conley's column first saw action near Cordoba, and then later that month, they fought at the Battle of Madrid, where they actually lost a few men. Then in 1937, the column joined up with the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, which was another English speaking brigade, and they formed a company with the British battalion, who I couldn't pronounce his name right the Sakalalian. Do you guys see this?
1: Yeah. Um, Sac- the Saklavatla Sac- Vat- Battalion
0: Yeah, which is the last Battalion name I think of when they're British Yeah,
1: so it's named after a communist Activist, British politician uh, Who was of Indian Parsi heritage
0: Wow, there okay. we are. that's interesting But then I read that it was kind of uh, Some of the Irish people were quite upset because they didn't want to serve with uh, In a British battalion and then in who was it oh yeah ryan was trying to calm everyone down he was trying to say look you know we're all part of the the we're you know the workers solidarity is the most important thing but then he found there's also a story about him finding out that one of the british volunteers was an ex-black and tan and ryan was like threatening to beat him up and everything he threatened to shoot him so
2: yeah, Yeah. yeah 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 which isn't great um should we tell people who the black and tans are Or just play the song now. (laughs) Uh, It would be a big segue, but in one sentence, the
0: black and tans were very, very bad British soldiers who raped and pillaged and killed in Ireland.
1: Yeah? And Nike once came out with a pair of shoes and they called them the
0: black and tans. Yeah.
2: But see, that wouldn't mean anything to anybody else. No. Even the British. No, it's... The British don't even know.
0: (laughs) People order black and tan drinks and you can get a black and tan dog and black and tan shoes. And you can get a... um... Irish Bomb. Irish Carbom, yeah. <laughs> such a disgusting drink, but it's so much fun to drink. Have you drank it? Yeah, but you have to drink it before it curdles. It curdles very quickly and becomes disgusting. chewy, so you really have to put that down fast. I feel like that's a good reason to not do it. Then it just curdles in your stomach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you at least you don't have to chew it. I don't oh. want to chew it. I've done like three of them a night once. What's what's in it?
2: It's like Guinness, Baileys and Jemsen, isn't it?
0: Half a pint of Guinness, a shot of Baileys with a Jameson head, and you drop the Jameson into the Guinness, and that's when the curdling starts with the foam on top of the Guinness. So then you just fucking have to down it in one.
1: All of those things separately are great.
0: <laughs> Why would you put
2: them together? Yeah, there's no need, there's no need to mix it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, actually, just on the strife in the ranks in the brigade, a load of the Irish volunteers switched to the American Lincoln Brigade as well. So unofficially, but they basically just stopped being around a lot of the English soldiers. So once it was that reorganization, joining the the 15th International Brigade, the British Battalion, they were dispatched to be around Madrid. So Franco had failed to storm Madrid in November 1936. Uh, General Emilio Mola went to kind of cut off Madrid uh, from the south, so over the the river Jarama. Yeah, they
0: wanted to... to
1: surround the city wasn't yeah it? basically do a siege good old-fashioned siege and this kind of led to the big the battle of jarama or yara i think it might be yorama
2: yorama sounds bad. yeah
1: yeah
0: Dara Dar is the spanish
1: expert yeah, so. spanish expert yeah. What do you? what's your yorama is your final say yorama i think so, okay yeah. oh I see good job this is a really big turning point in the war in general but all specifically for the irish brigade and um, so they lost Three hundred and seventy-five men out of the six hundred, including almost every officer, uh, within this time, uh, and it forced nationalists back across the river. So it was a big strategic point. To, you know, bridges and
0: rivers are really important stra- strategic points. That that number was the British brigade and some of the Irish men, was it? Because the Irish yeah. men were only around one hundred and forty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, just checking. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that
1: would have been in total out of the six hundred. So the Irish would have made up, you know, a part of that. Yeah. So after the fascist forces had taken the bridge and taken the river, um, the Republicans decided to launch a counterattack on the 14th of February, which is obviously Valentine's Day. It's a lovely day for a counterattack.
2: They were real men. They don't celebrate Valentine's Day.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They weren't taken in by the Hallmark holiday because of communism. (laughs) And... (laughs) At this stage, the German air force, the Luftwaffe, had taken over the sky. So the communists had absolutely no you know, support from the sky. They'd also lost their machine units and their heavy artillery was either captured or destroyed. So they essentially had machine guns and rifles. So that's all they had to fight against well dug in, well established fascist forces. And they led a charge just directly into the fire as cannon fodder, almost like World War One, like trenches, like going over the top, very old style. So even though this attack by the communists didn't retake any ground from the fascists, it did stop them in their tracks. Um, and in fact, the the attack was so vicious and violent. The fascists called this counterattack El Día Trieste del Yarama, which means the sad day in Yarama. But the quote from the time that kind of puts it in perspective is one nationalist soldier, one fascist soldier, reflected. They put in a frontal assault in broad daylight across a plain dominated by our positions and almost devoid of cover. They were Spanish troops, and I greatly admired their bravery, but I wondered what kind of military cretin had ordered such an attack. Jesus. So this kind of shows how earlier they had lost nearly all their officers. They were lacking a huge amount of artillery and military know-how as well. The communists did launch more and more counterattacks, equally as badly thought out. Um, one in particular, they tried to storm a stronghold of Um uh, They were completely cut to pieces again without artillery or air support. And there's a kind of a very poetic moment. Quite fittingly, it came from a poet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the poet Charles Donnelly apparently said, even the olives are bleeding before he was gunned down by a burst of machine gun fire.
0: By this stage, the communist forces, aka the Popular Front, they had lost a lot of men and they were on the back foot. And their hope was to dig in and hope that the Allies, so the powers who were against fascism around the world, would come in and kind of save them in their fight against fascism. But then with the signing of a treaty in Munich, which essentially was giving land to Germany by England and France, which it was kind of, it was England and France placating Germany. They were trying to prevent all-out war by giving them this sort of land. The communist forces realized that there was no hope. So they realized they were losing the war and there was very little that could be done. So they started repatriating a lot of their troops and just saying, international people, thank you. Now, please go home. Heavy as no countries to go home to. Right, folks. Right, folks. <laughs> right. I was trying to think of
1: like
2: a variation of it. It's a nice pub, not a nightclub. It's a nice trench, <laughs> not a <laughs> home trench. did you see they actually celebrated the Easter Rising in the trenches oh no yeah they celebrated the Easter Rising and then they also celebrated um, the 21st anniversary of Connolly's uh, execution Yeah, Yeah.
1: he's almost like the father of socialism in Ireland
2: really I mean they're also named after him yeah
0: I know but yeah yeah that's fair so Connolly's column fought their final fight in July 1938 at the Battle of Ebro while they were on their way out of the country But funnily enough, this ended up actually being one of the largest battles in the entire Spanish Civil War. Um, I think it was like 80,000 dead on both sides or something, which sounded really even, but then other sources I was reading said it it was a disaster and a massive loss for the, the communist folks anyway. before we move on I just want to go back to Frank Ryan, who we mentioned earlier he was the man who brought all the people over to fight in Spain again another very interesting character but he was actually captured in January 1938 by pro-nationalist forces and they sentenced him to death but this was later commuted Connor, is that right?
2: Yeah it was commuted to 30 years of hard labour I, I thought that that was on the request of de Valera wasn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. swinging his big international powers again Ap- apologising
0: again <laughs> But it gets kind of, it gets kind of murky here then, because he was granted an escape by Franco, which sounds a bit interesting. So the story was meant to go that Frank escaped, but in reality, he was handed into the Nazi Secret Service, who were called the Abwehr, who I'd never heard of, actually, A-B-W-E-H-R, Um, So their military intelligence in Germany. So he worked as a go-between between the IRA and the German Secret Service until the end of the war, or until his death, actually.
1: Well, allegedly, so he he didn't. He didn't like. He was very anti-fascist, and the idea of him going and joining the fascist organization was quite bizarre. So the the biggest kind of theory on what he was doing was the IRA saw again like the England's difficulty as Ireland's opportunity from the First World War. The the IRA saw the Nazis as a way to get ammunition to get arms into Ireland. So that was kind of the thinking on it. And in fact, he was on... Okay, that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but he was on a mission as well. He was on a mission on his way to Ireland when somebody else who was with him, I only grazed over the story, another Irishman who was working for the Nazis or was kept by the Nazis.
0: Yeah, got ulcers and died or something. Yeah,
1: so they were in um, a submarine and they had to turn back. So he never actually got back to Ireland
0: before he died. But it's kind of cool to think that there was an Irishman on a German Nazi submarine. Two Irishmen. Heading to Ireland. Two Irishmen. Yeah. So yeah, and it's it, it's mad to to think
1: of what could have happened given how almost pro-Nazi Ireland was. Or pro-fascist, I should say.
2: Yeah, it's crazy to think what could have been. The official numbers have it that 36 Irishmen were killed in Spain during the Civil War uh, for the British Brigade. And on returning to Dublin, the Connolly Column was greeted by a solitary figure of Father Michael O'Flanagan, who unveiled a banner in their honour. Is
0: this just one priest in the arrivals, like all these war-torn soldiers coming home? Okay, they're not coming in an airport, but like, yeah. hey, welcome, lads. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing like
1: Mole Man from The Simpsons. Like, yeah. yay, <laughs> little flag. It's, it's very
0: strange to, again, there was, well, there, that was a World War One sentiment that you go to war, war for this beautiful thing. You know, you come back a war hero. So it must have been a very interesting sensation to come back to like a country that's like, ah, you guys again. It,
2: I guess they, uh, Ireland didn't want to, Ireland didn't support them, so they were coming back to people that didn't want them, really. And I think a lot of them did stay yeah, in London. Yeah. They didn't actually arrive back into Dublin themselves. They just they, they, they stayed away from the country. So what
0: happened to Spain, then, folks? Well, Franco went on
1: to rule Spain until the 70s, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so the fa- a country where the fascists won.
2: Yeah, until his death. The dictator did survive until the very end. Uh, he wasn't kicked out. He wasn't. There was no junter and i like that, it was it was there and he tried to groom the king who was going to take over from him and there was it was touch and go for a while that the king may continue with franco's policies but luckily for spain the king wanted a democracy and he called an election he stepped aside and he just became a monarch rather than the actual ruler
1: which is kind of what wow. caused the whole problem in the first place because there had been uh an absolute monarchy before the king decided, okay, we'll have an election back in 1936, which led to the left popular mo- Popular front being elected, which led to the military coup. Okay. <laughs> so he was tempting
2: fate a little bit there, wasn't he? Yeah, and especially because so many people <laughs> liked Franco, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like, again, I wonder, I don't really have much an answer to this, but like, because the dictator won, was he like, you know, you always expect the dictator to be the nasty, evil person. But I guess he probably did okay in spain i'm sure there's some people who got very suppressed or like i don't know i don't know how wicked he was yeah no
1: immediately after the the war once the communists lost he went through areas that were pro-communist and mass murdered people and sprayed people oh, with machine okay. guns and yeah no he wasn't good like oh so a bit of a mean yeah, yeah meanie. i mean you yeah. you'd, okay. you'd be in support of him if you saw him doing that you'd be like yeah no yeah no i no, i definitely support you yeah no no they, they
0: yeah. didn't no i do yeah <laughs> wow so yeah, I guess that's the story of Conley's Column, folks.
2: It's interesting that it's kind of been rewritten now. As we said, the Irish men that fought in it were welcomed back by one man, uh, but now they would be seen as heroes. While, well. and I know we didn't go into too much detail, of Duffy's men were seen as they were fighting for the Catholic Church; they were fighting for God. So they were seen as the heroes at the time. I guess it's not as black and white as
0: you'd want to say. Like even during this, we were saying the communists and the fascists, but like mm,
2: there's a lot of grey.
0: Yeah. yeah there's a lot of gray because both of those in a sense have been baddies or you know it just depends on your perception of
2: yeah. uh the yeah. time i guess And time yeah time does pass and people realize that franco wasn't a great guy after all he wasn't really fighting for the for god or the catholic church he was more just using that as a as a way to get power megalomaniac i just want an excuse to say the word <laughs> <laughs> good word it's a good word do you want a fill my watch recently the meg no, Malamanian. the Meg. <laughs> Not the... It's so bad. <laughs> Is that about a giant ship or a giant, giant shark, shark or something. The Megalodon. Uh,
0: sometimes you just need it, trash yeah, movies,
1: no, That was part of that series of movies that were coming out of that. Like a time, I don't know if I just saw them all at the same time, but it was like sand sharks and Megalodon and What was this
2: other? What's his name? Ones? Jason Statham. Oh my god, he's such a bad actor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he d- he makes money. I watched the Daniel Radcliffe movie where he he wakes up and he has guns, uh, stapled to his hands, and it was just very entertaining seeing him try to text where both of his hands are just guns. The <laughs> Dumbest shit, but it was a very enjoyable movie. I've never heard of that movie. Uh, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It feels like it's made for a ten-year-old boy. The way the cut, the editing, and everything is done. So perfect for you. Yeah, yeah, I've got the mentality of a ten-year-old boy. <laughs>
1: uh, just sorry to to bring it. Back to something more serious, just a, like a person who says it a lot more succinctly than, than we can. Fergal McGarry, who's a professor of modern Irish history at Queen's, he's got a um, quote. A Meg, isn't he? And Jason, yeah,
2: <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, he says the Spanish Civil War is now remembered in Ireland as a conflict between democracy and fascism rather than Christianity and communism. As a result, the veterans of the international brigades have gradually come to be regarded as heroes while the Irish Brigade's crusaders have been forgotten or reviled as supporters of fascism, such are the vagaries of history. Which is just a much better way to say what we were trying to say there. Big sharks.
0: (laughs) And to finish, I'm looking for quotes for the Meg and even the quotes are terrible. (laughs) As Jonas Taylor from the Meg says, sounds like your mom's got a point. I know a lot. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) Oh my God, it's a shark. It's like 25 meters. It's a megalodon. Impossible. I'm so glad I'm not crazy. What the fuck movie is this We (laughs) must have spent about four minutes on the script. Like us for this episode. (laughs) So that's it for this week's episode, folks. Uh, As usual, music for the podcast was provided by the very talented Jordan O'Leary from the Dublin band The Scratch. And stay tuned for next week and we'll be talking about something completely different. Conley's column first saw action on the Andalusian front near Cordova. Cordova. As... Cor- Cor- what? Cordova. Conley's column first saw action near Cordova, and then they lead later... it. But there's a V. It's a fucking V. It's as though it's a different language. <laughs> they don't damn pronounce the V. Bastards. Conley's column first saw action near Cordova. B. fucks! Cordova. <laughs>
1: Hey everyone, Connor here again. Just a quick reminder, if you enjoyed that episode and you want to support us, you can go find us at patreon.com forward slash out of Ireland, buymeacoffee.com forward slash out of Ireland, or just leave us a review or tell a friend to listen in. Thanks, see you in two weeks.